0: Us. It's Zach I'm so popular. Uh, last week we discussed Bruce Weber and Richard Link Letters. Everybody wants some. This week we're talking about beauty again through uh, one of my favorite moving pieces of art, Kim Kardashian, her book Selfish, and one of my all time favorite films, Black Lizard. And I am joined by one of the most fabulous modern thinkers of the contemporary moment, an absolute genius and one of my real role models and artistic inspirations. Who are you?
1: Oh my God. Um, my name is Anakachian. <laughs> Domo arigato. I don't know oh. how to speak Japanese. <laughs> that was I great. I actually don't even know what that
0: means. That means thank, thank you. you. Yeah, oh, you got yeah. it. <laughs> what are you doing, Anakachian?
1: Mm, I'm drinking three beverages at once um, essential water, Diet Coke, and Astahi beer totally unintentional oh. and i'm drinking the beer out of like a sumo wrestling ceramic cup it's very wabi-sabi
0: oh you have I'm, like, a like very on very on brand, brand. Very yeah, on brand. Yeah. <laughs> um why do you follow me anna
1: um because uh monica mommy milkers and jack the perfume nationalist follow you and i'm just a sheeple
0: Well, you are being a sheeple for great people. I loved your episode with Monica and, um, you know, Amy for uh, her show. I thought that was just delightful. And um, I uh, have been very privileged to get to uh, know you a little bit from the shady, like, um, cabal of uh, group chats.
1: (laughs) (laughs) They're like, um, they're just like some kind of disgusting horror movie monster that like just keeps reappearing like you cut the head off and like a new one a new racist group chat pops up and there's like 60 people and I'm just saying all sorts of shit and sharing photos of the baby fast and loose (laughs) (laughs) like because I'm naughty
0: and want to get caught no they I want to get caught too um and I love (laughs) like how much um like narrative scope these have um, with like semi-annual fallouts between the great titans of the internet, including yeah. um, Bap, who has come and go out of many, many <laughs> chats. <laughs> and um, the whole thing is very funny, but I'm, I'm glad I get to uh, read your constant updates.
1: I know. we I made me fully appreciate how like extremely online we all are because everybody's like chiming in at all hours of the day. Uh And the other thing that I was so shocked by is how dramatic everybody is. I was like, guys, 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 this is just the internet. Everybody's always, like,
0: leaving in a huff or getting blocked (laughs) and therefore getting, like, kicked out. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah, it's, like, um, it's truly a a spectacular spectator sport. Like, these group chats that are just, like... people. You're passionate group chat people that are just constantly exploding in my phone. Um mm-hmm. I, I really love it. I look at Do it. Do you have while notifications on? Oh no.
1: Okay. Me <laughs> no. neither. Twitter's always prompting me to turn on not- notifications and I'm just like, I'm not that mentally ill.
0: No, I can I get a little panicky sometimes just like looking at my like notifications and like my mentions in the app or whatever. Um mm-hmm. I feel like the the landscape is very psychically uh frustrating sometimes so letting it get any more real than it already is is um a bad idea
1: yeah yeah you got in trouble recently right
0: oh i sure did um for being remind me again what you did i was just for for being a drag queen okay yes i was in trouble because um some, I, I vaguely criticized Catholicism as like a joke, like six months ago, and then it like uh-huh. resurfaced as this uh, mounting tension over time that turned into a assault on my character for being a crossdresser.
1: Mm. Well, when you asked me um who I was, I almost wanted to say drag queen, because at the end of the day, I really uh, relate to and identify with the, the Miwa character in Black Lizard, which we can get to later.
0: Oh, me too. I mean, like, there's uh, something so special about her. Yeah, but like a man
1: who dresses like a woman who dresses like a man.
0: Yes, exactly. I so get it. I, I mean, I actually do think there is like a drag quality to Red Scare, if that makes any sense. Like, not to sound like, uh, you know, too hearted or anything, but mm-hmm. there is like a really lovely gender performance going on there that kind of feels like a and in scope.
1: Mm-hmm. Are right. you trying to say that we're lesbians?
0: I mean, I would love if that were the case, but there is just <laughs> a, a wonderful performance between you and Dasha. Um, both of you haven't kind of um, originated these wonderful feminine archetypes that are now uh, repeated uh-huh. en masse as the discount Dashas and uh, lousy, you know, Anna, like take repeaters who uh, can never yeah. come up with anything original.
1: Uh huh. The, the Legion of. Uh, mousy brunette e-girls
0: yes that's exactly it so (laughs) i feel like uh your performance on the show the two of you is like a really wonderful artistic distillation of uh uh, Uh the absolute climax of what those archetypes could ever be
1: yeah i mean i think like all russian women are basically a little bit drag oh
0: I think that must be true. I've only had encounters with um, I guess like now you and Monica. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: She's also I mean, there's like two types of Russian women. Uh the kind of like bimbified whore and the like Kalhuas tractor driver, both mm-hmm. of which are frankly mannish in a way.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Like, um, the more like uh bimboified one gets like the closer you kind of get to masculinity almost yeah this is true it takes like an enormous world of power to like really be able to competently sexualize uh yourself in, in such a way i have a lot of respect for women who look like that
1: who look like total whores yeah
0: yeah I mean, I would love if I could, like, just, uh, you know, serve cunt like that every day with, like, huge <laughs> boobs. Just, like, everyone's staring, but it'll never be me, I think.
1: <laughs> no, it takes a lot of work and commitment and energy and resources and is fundamentally exhausting. Though, I guess, like, when you habituate to it, like, you there's no other way. Like, you can't go back.
0: Yeah. Like, it becomes a part of your entire being to, you know... Be and look that way. It is really aspirational, but I guess it's just uh, not for me. I like to be able to take it off and uh, ruminate in my like gloomy male misery instead of just being, Mm -hmm. you know, (laughs) super horror 24 7.
1: Yeah. But what I've always liked about Russian women is that they have this um, very iconic combination of looking like cheap hookers, but thinking like high level PhDs. Yeah. I've said this before, but it's always, like, some bitch who has, like, a literal PhD in, like, philology or linguistics or, like,
0: ethnography or something. I guess you're right. Like, they, they always can just uh, take it off and go to PhD mode. Or mm-hmm. or maybe it's more that it's, like, uh, completely synchronous. But I'm, I'm jealous of that kind of willpower. I'm so weak in comparison. Me, too. I'm a mere pupil.
1: I learn yeah. from the
0: best. Me, too. I mean... I think uh, that said, though, I, I really do think that, um, and to completely suck your dick, I mean, you have done something so brave and brazen and original on Red Scare. I mean, it is really one of the most special podcasting projects ever created. Um, and I remember, like, listening to it about two and a half years ago, um, after a friend had introduced to me, she'd always been kind of, like, scandalized and shocked by the show, uh-huh. and, um... But she was really obsessed with, like, the charisma. And I listened to, like, I think 40 episodes in, like, a number of a few weeks. Uh-huh. And uh, it felt like something was, like, clicking with how I had always, like, thought. And seeing it kind of, um, you know, represented uh, so courageously by you two really uh, gave me a lot of a fighting spirit.
1: Well, thank you. I'm so bad at accepting compliments.
0: Me too. I But I'll just give them to you anyway, so... <laughs>
1: It's because I have imposter syndrome. Just kidding. Um, yeah. I mean, that's a very, I feel like that I was just sounding off on our last episode about bronze age mindset and how reading that book, um, was not so much, um, eye opening as soul soothing, because as I was reading it, it was almost like my, uh, unarticulated and inarticulable thoughts were coming alive on the page mm-hmm. it's great to you know encounter like a cultural product or a work that makes you feel seen and understood
0: Ugh, it's so true i mean that's exactly how i felt um going through red scare and uh the perfume nationalist for the first time <laughs> listening to the whole um unfolding arc uh, chronologically front to back and I mean, there is something really special about seeing, like, your mode of thinking uh, so perfectly crystallized by, you know, artistic, compelling people, and um, I'm very thankful for, you know, your project, and I think lots of people, no matter how bitter they are and uh, how put upon they pretend to be about the show, I feel like most people feel the same way. Uh, I don't know about that. I think all of the hatred for it is a mere sign of success, to be honest
1: yeah no i would agree with that i think anytime there's like a whirlwind of hatred it's you know haters are just fans who don't know it yet but uh i i don't know that anybody thinks of it that way but and also you know not to to suck jack's dick too much but i'm officially one of these mousy brunette e-girls because i'm sitting here in my office surrounded by my uh Sun and Steel and Bronze Age Mindset books. And also I just ordered a bunch of perfume samples. Oh, great. I like ambiently started getting into perfume, which is something I've never been into, probably through osmosis because I'm in contact with Jack all the time, you know,
0: mm-hmm. directly and, and indirectly. To me. Huh? The exact yeah. same thing happened to me. I was not interested in perfume until getting exposed to the show. And like now I have a, a slowly expanding kind of, Deranged gallery of Elizabeth Taylor Perfume that's just encroaching <laughs> upon My house
1: And I think like as you age It's it's nice to um, Swathe your uh, Putrid and decaying body yeah, In absolutely. lavish sense
0: It makes you f- I mean right now the weather In Japan especially is this uh, Humid swampy bog It's like 95 degrees Like 90% humidity Uh, I am like constantly like sweating like some gross little creature and the comfort of Elizabeth Taylor perfume giving me one like refined ledge to cling to is an essential part of my lifestyle.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Can I, well, can I flip the tables on you and ask you what it's like to be a gaijin in Japan?
0: Yeah, please do. Um, I love it. I mean, I have never been, there is something really special to me about being the foreigner. And I think lots of people come to Japan for any amount of time imagining that they want to like integrate with Japanese culture and be seen as Japanese. And I have absolutely no interest in that. I love being the glamorous, like uh, too tall fish out of water and uh, experiencing the culture as like an American. And uh, I love speaking Japanese. I love Japanese art. I love Uh, walking around these, uh, you know, mazes of 80s architecture that's never been updated and um, cruising in the parks and the gay people here. It's honestly just like, uh, it's heaven. I love it.
1: What's the gay culture like over there?
0: The gay culture rules um, because in America, as you well know, everything is kind of, um, you know, marriage equality like there's a kind of a corporate tenor to everything and uh, I think gay people have become much less satisfied as these uh, virtual reality veneers of uh, gay success have appeared um, but there's no illusion of that because there's no marriage equality and gay people are still kind of a uh, taboo and on the outs marginalized so, yeah unhoused so when, unhoused yeah <laughs> <laughs> So, like, when people go and, like, party on the weekends or, like, I mean, they really have a lot of catharsis to, you know, work out. And, uh, like, the old sex culture of, like, cruising and bathhouses and, uh, you know, public park blowjobs and, like, all of that remains very strong.
1: It's alive and well, yeah. I don't... I have a hard time kind of speaking to any sort of um, ambient or general gay culture in America. But one of the things that people always say to me, like in interviews or kind of casually is, well, you know, what's it like to, to be like basically conservative, but living in a totally libtarded city and surrounded by libtarded people. And I honestly have never had that experience because all the gay guys I know, and I know a lot of them are basically kind of old school, uh, pre- AIDS crisis gays
0: yeah no that's exactly it I mean I've been recently kind of reposturing myself as like a like 80s like Larry Kramer like gay rights supremacist because Uh that kind of a conservative like fury and their uh, general malaise is very satisfying and something I I really identify with
1: yeah but I think the difference like you see like I guess you could call it like a resurgence of of homophobia and and you and jack are always like sounding off against it online but it that also feels fake and gay like it feels like a larp or a simulacrum of the old like 80s and 90s homophobia
0: Mm -hmm. there's something it doesn't feel real to me yeah it doesn't feel real to me either there's like i think it might just be because of self-expression on the internet like everything kind of has that like hollow ring to it when it's a uh, kind of a, an echo of something from the past and i feel like there is an underlying like you know element of uh you know displeasure or disgust with the homosexual but it is kind of like bizarre and plastic isn't it
1: yeah it, it it's kind of it just um inauthentic and uh unempathetic by which i mean not not uh, not empathizing with homosexuals, because I guess the purpose is to, is to not empathize, but um, the people now sounding off about gay culture really have no context for the kind of quality or texture of gay culture, because it almost feels like they've never encountered it in the flesh. They've only encountered it like on the internet through, mm. I don't know, like memes and libs of TikTok and whatever
0: oh god you got it exactly right like no people actually i mean i think like in the 70s and 80s like everyone kind of had like a more visible contact with homosexuals because like the culture was so much more like defined and uh i think that people had a, a clearer idea so like their homophobia like rings like more like heartfelt than um people who have only like interacted with you know the local fag at work who like listens to like Kim Petras and uh, yeah. like you know maybe does a little bit of uh, like grinder talk during work hours and like that's about as deep as it gets.
1: Mm-hmm. And I can you know I'll say this I can respect um, kind of an old school homophobe who hates faggots because he's been surrounded by them. Of course I can't I can't respect because he accidentally got his dick sucked once in a weird bathroom stall and felt really broken up and ashamed about that but i can't i can't respect the new kind of uh pseudo homophobia that you see on the internet
0: no i can't either i think it's just preposterous and you're exactly right that like that kind of old school homophobia is much more like satisfying culturally and i feel like i might have I might have been, like, one of the last few people to, like, go through it. Because um, I went to junior high school, like, just barely, like, pre-Glee. And that uh-huh. was kind of, like, the turning point for when, like, uh the old school of homophobia kind of vanished. And we, mm-hmm. we have this bizarre new one now. Yeah, because I
1: think that was, like, kind of the moment where homosexuality entered fully and, like, firmly into the mainstream.
0: Yeah. That was I don't, it wasn't it wasn't gay
1: marriage <laughs> It was that particular Like televised cultural moment The point of no return
0: Yeah The line in the sand Ryan Murphy like uh, came and uh, Grasped the culture so violently That it began to kind of uh, break And collapse in It's a, definitely like a satanic fascinating piece of work That he did and uh, I have a lot of respect for Ryan Murphy But I mean <laughs> oh my god <laughs>
1: It's also kind of um, brilliant and amazing how that show was so thoroughly, like, cursed and doomed. Oh, yeah. Didn't, like, three cast members die under mysterious circumstances? Naya Rivera drowned in, in, like, a a lake in Hollywood while her son
0: watched? Who, like, drowns in 2022? That's so weird.
1: I know. That's that's what I said. (laughs)
0: Like, drowning? Uh, Somebody else killed themselves after... um, pedophilia um charges uh for like the possession of child porn and then of course Corey monteith uh, overdosed in a hotel room
1: pretty bleak
0: very bleak they all all paid the price yeah and none of them are famous anymore
1: no nobody cares though they're probably going to be i i can't imagine that there won't be like another one of these like revisionist Netflix or Hulu documentaries that talks about how glee was problematic.
0: Oh yeah. I mean the first season is extremely mean-spirited uh, and kind of like cruel about these people actually. Uh-huh.
1: But that's stuff in the cards.
0: Mhm. I think so too. Maybe Ryan Murphy himself will do it. He should. He should he should um get ahead of the criticism. Yeah, I think so as
1: well. And yeah. the discourse he should really kind of like um creative direct his own downfall as a gap. That'd be beautiful. Like a troll, yeah.
0: That's like that's Balenciaga is like doing exactly. your own like <laughs> downfall on the world stage. That's absolutely gorgeous.
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: Um kind of speaking of, you know, like this Balenciaga narrative that mm-hmm. um gay people, um beauty, artifice, um beautiful women with huge um body parts. I'm very keen makeup to talk to you by about Mario. Makeup by Mario, Skims, Kimono. I want to talk to you about Kim Kardashian. Kimono.
1: <laughs> um, yeah, let's do it. Yeah. Uh, what about yeah. her?
0: Well, why don't you tell me a little bit about like what your experience is with Kim? Because for me, um, I became first entranced with her in high school because even from like the first time I ever came across her show and started listening to her speak, I knew there was some glimmering character element at play. And I was very interested in how she designs her own written world on the public stage of Instagram. And I've always found her to be beautiful, uh, very, uh, a wonderful role model, compelling, uh, graceful. And I think she's one of the most uh, interesting moving pieces of art this century. Uh, but what's kind of like your you know base experience with Kim?
1: Um, well, I think there's there's a great quote by Morrissey about David Bowie, who he was kind of like lifelong frenemies with. Um, And every time he's like prompted in an interview, he will always say something kind of like backhanded and catty that like looks on the surface like a compliment. But he said something to the effect of like, you know, uh, with enough, you know, will and vanity, anybody can be successful, speaking of Bowie. And I've always thought of Kim as a kind of David Bowie-like figure um, in that she's like, An extremely like beautiful and iconic producer of glittering images, but there's, but really she's like a blank slate. There's Mm -hmm. nothing to her. Um, She has no real kind of like personality. um, No particular maternal warmth in spite of being a mother anytime is over. um, No real sense of style no real sense of purpose I mean she's an interesting person I'm mean, many people that she's like kind of like the first um celebrity who's famous for being famous on such a massive scale uh and so I'm fascinated by her as this kind of like totally blank slate figure and then there's also like the question of um the fact that she's Armenian which I always got a kick out of that <laughs> um, I can really, you know, on some level, I can really relate to Kim Kardashian. I, you know, I, I see, I see myself in her, uh, her arms, the armpits and like sad face belly button. Um, she's vain, but ultimately kind of docile and harmless and really into like Marie Kondo style organization. Um. And, you know, Kim really gives me hope that you can look good as a short and squat person. And also her example has always, like, um, permitted me to, like, embrace my girly side.
0: Oh, that's beautiful. I feel like you have always had kind of, like, the right eye for her whenever, like, she's come up in the cabal group chats or whatever. But there's so much, you know, disdain for her and public misunderstanding of her as, like, a Jeff Koons sculpture. Mm -hmm. And I don't know. There is something about her vapidity and the canvas of uh, her existence that makes her just so enticing to me. I want to spend all of my time thinking about her, looking at her, looking at her, looking at herself, uh, she is a really beautiful kind of hall of mirrors figure uh, and that she does it all in this like tacky reality uh, TV realm uh, Mm -hmm. juxtaposed with these enormous narratives of drama and lost love and motherhood and trauma and all of these things. I just find it to be one of the like last interesting Uh, uses of of famous art exactly like david bowie
1: yeah and she's she's remarkable because um she's a modern day like fertility goddess or fertility figure who has absolutely no she she does not at all kind of broadcast fertility Mm -mm. she broadcasts kind of like plasticness and liquidity and I don't mean and I don't mean that in the sense of like her having a ton of work done but uh, she's remarkable in that way and also like you know um as somebody who has very limited experience with like other Armenians but some they're typically very intense and very warm and she almost lacks those qualities entirely which is not to say that she's like cold or cruel she also comes off as like a really nice person
0: yeah, I've always got that impression as well. I feel like she is like, you know, very like sweet and like you said docile. Um and it, it's funny that she is kind of this contemporary uh fertility frater- like uh fertility image. She's like a like a Venus of Willendorf basically. Yeah. And uh it, it, she had to have like half of her kids like through like surrogacy. <laughs> right.
1: Um and she's yeah, she's like a a, a slow-eyed Caucasian maiden. It's funny my mom um, at the start of the Kardashian, said, "Mark my word, that woman is going to have fertility issues."
0: <gasps> oh, she knew. She like knew somehow. Yeah. I mean, her tiny little body is definitely um, partly to blame. It is shocking how small and square this woman is actually. I know. And I, she's almost like unsexy. I mean, I can't tell, but it's always kind of like boggled the mind for me that. Um, people are like erotically charged by Kim Kardashian.
1: I don't think anybody is erotically charged by Kim Kardashian. I was just having this conversation with someone. Um, Kim to me is like, honestly, like a a pinnacle of like beauty and fashion, but she's a person who's like uniquely again, devoid of like um, sex appeal or charisma in a way, which is really special. And I don't think that that's necessarily even, like, a function of her personality or character. I just think that, like, when you are so oversaturated and mega-famous, it's very hard to be viewed as, like, a human being or a sex object.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, um, I think, like, in order to be, like, horny for Kim Kardashian, you have to have uh, some, like, bizarre relationship with object permeance. And when I was, like, looking for a, a PDF of Selfish, um, my first, like, clue was that I found um, a few pictures of, like, her uh, naked photography on a subreddit called Kim Kardashian Pics, mm-hmm. which was, like, ho- horny men for Kim Kardashian. And I was, like, very shocked by this. Um, but then I kind of thought about, like... Kanye West who uh like has always been into like nearly drag oversaturated impressions of femininity um like Amanda Lepore uh Mm -hmm. and like you know even Amber whatever her name is like you kind of have to like love women as an abstracted object to be like turned on by her
1: yeah I mean I think Kanye much like Trump much like many Geminis, is more aesthetically than erotically motivated. Right. Like, he scraps women for parts on a strictly aesthetic level. And I've really never paid much mind to, like, the gay rumors swirling around about
0: him. But I think he does have, like, the gay man's eye and sensibility. Yeah, I think so, too. Um, And one of the most special things to me about Kim is, you know, she has these billions of eyes on her watching her, uh, public performance. And I've always found that in kind of her blankness, she has a very strong, like writerly kind of approach to organizing her existence. And mm-hmm. I don't know, there's something. So it it really is like performance art or like an epistolary novel happening in real time, just to like watch her go through her drama.
1: Yeah, I mean what I've always really loved and appreciated about Kim is that she's very mercantile and she's very utilitarian. Like, you know, she started out as a eBay power seller and closet organizer to the stars. And um on the most recent episode of the new rebooted Kardashians, which I think airs on Hulu and no mm-hmm. longer E, um we can get some fact-checkers for that. Um,
0: yeah, that's right. She
1: talks about how the thing that literally makes her horny is um organizing her house in in <laughs> moments of quietude. Like when yeah. she has a moment to herself, she just cleans
0: and organizes. Yeah, she kind of has like this like fascist um organizational willpower. And yeah. I mean It kind of starts with the, you know, famous Ray J sex tape, Kim Kardashian superstar, uh, where her and Kris Jenner were able to so expertly manicure that sex tape in the public consciousness that she could do nothing but become the, you know, titular superstar.
1: Yeah, and I think they were able to manicure it in a way that like gave them Maximal um, plausible deniability because I think that even they don't believe that they had anything to do with that sex tape. They really kind of wash their hands of it publicly.
0: Yeah, and that comes up on the most recent um, Kardashian series on Hulu as well. It's like the reprisal of the drama as there's like apparently like more footage that was never seen before. And all of it definitely does feel like a, a calculated a way of kind of characterizing it as uh, this antagonistic force on her life,
1: right? Exactly. Like it. It was kind of like <clears throat> some ambient demonic thing that merely happened to her. And I'm just so. I, I also really love Kim's relationship with Chris because, again, I find it so relatable. Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't. I don't know if you know, but my mom. My mom is um, dresses up like Chris Jenner for fun. Yeah. I posted the photos online and she like really kind of nails the look because she's like an artiste and has always like dressed up in costumes and made like little scenes out of like salad and stuff like that. And my mom in a way was always like my momager who had like, you know, growing up in suburban New Jersey had like a, a Freudian stranglehold on my
0: image wow that is so incredible i feel like
1: i I find him so relatable and i I can just see the haters now being like anna thinks she's just like kim kardashian (laughs) but i think my relationship to kim but of course of course i mean it's so rewarding to be like a half armenian girl who always grew up in this like weird disorienting suspension of like not being russian enough for the russians and not being american enough for the americans and then like halfway through your life another half armenian girl becomes the biggest celebrity in america if not the world like i think for me it's like a proof of the resilience of our uh small
0: but great nation i mean that's beautiful and I think that something that really is kind of transcendent about, you know, what you're saying is that they have this, um, you know, love for life and organizing and kind of, like, fascistically insisting upon um, this, like, organization of the uh, home lifestyle. Like you said, like, the endless, like, salads that are, like, artistically um, curated to kind of um, create, like, a vivid and, like, virile like, portrait of life as it's experienced. (laughs) It's really touching,
1: and they have and like they do have a lust for life, but it's not for the kind of like sublime or existential element of life. It's for like the 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 daily like mundane element of life. Like they're kind of overstuffed, indoor outdoor furniture, which I literally get horny for. <laughs> yeah, I just like I I hope that one day I can have like a Jennifer Aniston um, slash Chloe Kardashian like malibu home with a garage filled with like organized tupperware like color-coded
0: and then in the middle of all of like the tupperware and the convertible furniture you can have a big bowl of salad very peckishly on the island bar at the kitchen uh, and enjoy the company of your bitchy sister Mm -hmm. (laughs) like isn't it amazing? I want to be able to live like that.
1: It's incredible. And, you know, like you read like Bronze Age Mindset and he has, I think, a lot of very um, valuable and funny insights into like the culture of the long house and how it's like draining and depressing of like male creativity and vitality. But I think the Kardashians really elevate the longhouse model to its most exceptional
0: and glittering, like... I just <laughs> got chills. I got chills. It is exceptional and glittering. Um, I, This is why it just disappoints me so much that people can't do even the most fundamental and, and superficial digging about her. Because once you kind of look even slightly into her curated lifestyle, what you get out of it is, like you said, like this really beautiful uh, lifestyle of the mundane and the daily that is just so compelling and heartwarming even though it's like created with this uh expertly utilized uh you know artifice uh and the instrument of fame
1: yeah like a a bunch of women-owned businesses and consultants like scrambling to organize the various kardashian properties excuse me that are like within a mile of each other in calabasas and i i always like that they had this kind of like Um, incestuous family model they're like the the Salinger glass family but for like low IQ normies Mm -hmm. it's really beautiful
0: yeah and it's I mean this is kind of exactly what like Pollya was trying to do with like glittering images when she talked about you know each of her like favorite you know pieces of art or whatever and it's to Um, you know, look artistically and seriously at kind of, um, not to use the worst word in the world, but like proletarian uh, approach to, uh, you know, appreciating the beautiful and the sublime uh, through both like high and low art. And uh, I think like the Kardashians are really expert at that, like their mission statement is appealing to the most uh, trashy of people. And I remember like a lot of my like overweight like garbage friends in like central Oregon when I was growing up who like never took the McDonald's trash bags out of their Saturns (laughs) like we were able to like both kind of um bond and uh celebrate the Kardashian lifestyle which we like watched every week together
1: yeah and I think like um you know I would say that my relationship to Kim is similar to Paglia's relationship to Madonna um like, you know, Paglia wrote a lot about Madonna and how she was kind of the the pinnacle of feminine or feminist achievement contra the the stodgy and boring, like, academic media feminism that was, like, hot at the time and kind of reared its ugly head again in 2016 in, like, the lead up to the election Mm -hmm. and that sort of thing. And it, you know, obviously Paglia was so transfixed and mem- mesmerized by Madonna because she could identify with her. She reminded her of herself. I mean, they have like a similar kind of Fellini satiricon disposition to their facial features, even, which Vincent Gallo also has that like Italianate kind of antique look that I really love. And later on, Paglia sort of soured on Madonna. Actually, Madonna was, the, f- was I think, the first to fire the shot because um, somebody had told her about Paglia and she being, like, the retard that she is, didn't bother to, like, dig deeper and kind of condemned her as, like, a feminist. But um, Paglia had that beautiful passage or uh, talking about how Madonna should not never seek to explain her art, like she shouldn't open her mouth and try to intellectualize too much. And should just mm-hmm. uh, focus on being a great
0: artist, right? Yeah, I, minute... I love their their Italian, like their fiery Italian animosity towards each other. Mm-hmm. It's sweet. but it's like
1: an animosity that came from um, some kind of identification.
0: Yeah, and pure I love.
1: Kim is also capable of like great profundity, in mm-hmm. a way. Because, you know, there is that part in the selfie book where she talks about how much she loves getting her hair and makeup done, um, but, like, correctly surmises that most people in her position would find it quite tedious. hmm Like, she has that ability to, like, envision other people.
0: Yeah, she can definitely look beyond herself. Like, she definitely has some sort of, like, Apollonian, like, uh, gaze forward. And I think that um, she is both concerned with like her own public image but i i do think that she is kind of silently aware of um just how like far-reaching her essence is and how uh, many versions of her exist in in the viewers mm-hmm. and audience that she's created so her kind of curation of herself um and the like the show of vapidity i think it is actually like you said very capable of profundity yeah I just opened the the selfish book, uh, which is oh, yeah. um this was what published a great by a, title, a, by the way. Selfish, published by a Rizzoli. Is that how you say mm-hmm. that?
1: Um, I just always assumed it was Rizzoli. Rizzoli. Uh, yeah, Rizzoli. Is there an eye in there, like is, a second eye? Um, I? <laughs>
0: I don't know. In any case, um, I am very uh, yeah. It's just Rizzoli. You're right. This is like um. A book of selfies, uh, and that's merely all organized mostly in, in chronological order. Um, but what kind of makes this special is that Rizzoli is like a fine arts book publisher, and I have a, a beautiful book of uh, Mishima uh, photog- like, uh, photographs of him posing in various like suicidal poses, mm-hmm. um, published by the the same house and. Uh, The presentation of these selfies and uh, some of it is kind of like violent and shocking and a little grisly, but the overall effect is something very mesmerizing.
1: Mm -hmm. The Mishima or the
0: Kim? Both, but certainly (laughs) the Kim. (laughs) Um,
1: Yeah, it's it's a it's a very weird and very inspiring book. It reminded it also reminded me again of Morrissey, like when he published his autobiography on Penguin Classics. That's which right. is usually reserved for um, dead people.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Like, generally, living people don't get published under Penguin Classics, but he somehow negotiated that deal behind closed doors, which was, you know, I think like a pretty like boss move. So, Kim yeah. kind of also brokering a deal. I mean, she's the queen of broker deals, right? And she's her brokering a deal with Rizzoli, a fine arts publisher, to put out um, the least fine art book of all time is pretty cool
0: i think so too and i really like um just how deep into the like low culture gutter this goes especially yeah. in like the first four years of photographs um before the just like leading up to the premiere of uh keeping up with the kardashians you see like a kind of kim kardashian photographed here that is uh almost like an unbelievable origin to who we have in front of us now.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, though, it's strange. There was a period, I think my, I think my only beef with Kim is that she eradicated her original nose, mm-hmm. which was like one of the most beautiful, like I would pay to, to have that nose. Um, and there was like a, a point in time, I'm going to break out my calipers where um, the distance between the tip of her nose and her philtrum was too long. And she looked kind of, <laughs> old and reptilian and she did something to counteract that because lately she's been looking a lot like her older self
0: yeah i noticed that as well especially with like the latest um kardashian series but um i think especially around the time of her like pregnancy uh she did like for the first time in her life kind of like lose a um you know self-confidence and assurance Mm -hmm. and so she did look Ah, uh, kind of like alien and reptilian and um, unnatural in a way, kind of bizarre even for her standards.
1: Yeah, I think like the pinnacle of that was that Met Gala. Um, yes, with couch upholstery dress. dress. Yeah. yeah, was that Balenciaga? It looks. It seems like Balenciaga because they always do like the sleeves with the
0: gloves built in. Mm-hmm. I think it was.
1: Yeah, I think for me, like that actually, it's not even so much that I hate the dress because frankly, it's like uh, a bizarre enough choice to be interesting. It's just like in that moment, I think probably yes, yeah, she was at her lowest confidence yeah. levels. Though it's and hard it's, to yeah. say how confident she is. I mean, I think she's a person who um, really requires, feeds off of like external impressions
0: hmm I think she does. Like, she exists kind of um, almost, ex- like, in- entirely in the exterior, and um, imagining the interior is very challenging. Um, but it's funny that kind of that lowest moment for her, whether it's, like, her artistic presence or her, like, well-being, uh, came at the time that she was giving birth to her first child. As we've mentioned, like, she's a sort of like a perfect fertility goddess for the 21st century, where, like, she is like miserable pregnant and like Mm -hmm. (laughs) uh looks bizarre and like then eventually can no longer give birth and must do it through surrogacy
1: and did you well did you notice that um aside in the selfie book where um it was a photo of her and a pregnant Courtney and she sort of muses wistfully that Courtney always looks so pretty when she's pregnant
0: Yes, I did notice that. The light touch of longing that yeah. just comes to the surface is very touching.
1: The negative space. It was really, I don't look pretty when I'm pregnant.
0: Mm-hmm. The contrast. That's how
1: I read it as. But I think that's also beautiful because that I find that very relatable. Because when you have a baby, frankly, you really lose your sense of self and your sense of confidence. Um, on one hand, you gain... Um, some self and some confidence um, because you realize what your body can do and um, you care less about external impressions. But on the other hand, caring for somebody else around the clock is really the most kind of self-sacrificing and abject experience you can ever have. It's really like descending into the longhouse. And I think that for a a woman like Kim, who's so used to living her life in the public eye, it's really almost borderline intolerable.
0: It is intolerable. I'm just like flipping like through this. And I'm like you said, the negative space of these handwritten captions is so fascinating. Uh, She writes, it was a futuristic shoot. I love doing photo shoots and having memories and so many different vibes, end quote. Oh my (laughs) God. I so get it though. She's exactly right.
1: (laughs) Yeah, no. And I I wrote down this quote where she says, I can look at any photo of myself and can tell who did my hair and makeup, where I was and who I was with. Photos are memories to me. As soon as I see and imagine an image, all the details of the day or the moment come alive for me. And I love that too, because again, she's so... Functional and utilitarian. She has this kind of almost Japanese fascist organizational streak.
0: Yeah, I think so too.
1: She, you know, photos for her are, they, they kind of trigger some sort of like, um, compartmentalization or autism or something. Like she has like this eye for detail. Mm -hmm. That I think, I think that 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 actually to disagree with my original point about Morrissey on David Bowie, I think that that's actually the the main driver of her success. It's not really her vanity or her willpower. It's that she's like a highly efficient and organized person.
0: Yeah, she definitely has like a Japanese element to her, um, which is funny because Japan does not give a fuck about the Kardashians. And I've never met a Japanese person in my entire life who even knows who they are. Um, Really. Yeah, which is you know kind of uh, it's really funny because they they've been here so many times and like there's like at least like three different arcs of like Kim comes to Japan and like Chloe and Courtney are like wearing clothes that are just far too much, um, but <laughs> they just don't even think about her. But she is well, kind of like a. Why fashion. do you
1: think that is? Um, are they not neonas enough?
0: I wonder what it is. Honest. Well, I think that they lack there is like a certain element of Japanese like self-parody that Mm. is important for like people who are famous here and as for those who are you know famous by import and like the foreigners who have kind of like an important touch here I think that they kind of have like um a easily slottable foreignness to them where you can kind of uh, imagine them as like a a great archetype of their culture, like the cheeseburger. But Kim, okay. kind of, uh, despite to me representing so much Americana, she doesn't really like slip into cheeseburger mode, does she?
1: Doesn't? She, didn't she? Uh, she did a Carl's Junior commercial, right? Oh, she did, or, and it's very. It, or it was, was a, it only Paris? I remember no, the she Paris. did one. Yeah, it
0: was uh, at the Super Bowl, I think.
1: Yeah, I I mean, there's so many also glittering images of like Kim picking at a salad or Kim uh, munching on french fries, or Kim digging into a fried chicken buffet, or Kim having a slice of pizza on the floor with her sister, Chloe. <laughs>
0: <laughs> That's exactly like, it.
1: There's all of these, I mean, to me, I to me, Kim is a profoundly like Middle Eastern figure. Like she's almost like Salome or something. And she has this like um, Orientalist painting harem quality. Mm-hmm. Like you can almost see like Cory Gamble as like the African eunuch in the background,
0: <laughs> like guarding the gate. That's exactly right. Oh my god. <laughs> I can his so like see like weird it.
1: lip gloss lips. <laughs>
0: i keep thinking about um wendy williams uh whenever she talked about corey gamble she'd have to like stop and like suppress a mounting horniness in her <laughs> as she like described his like big fat ass like <laughs> I'm,
1: of, of all the the black men that the kardashians have ran through he's the one that i'm like the least horny for because he reminds me of like a yassified funk flex
0: oh my god <laughs> It's exactly right. I'm like, he's disturbed. not, yeah. <laughs>
1: uh, Kanye, I, I always found very attractive. And mm-hmm. who's the guy from the New Orleans Saints? Reggie Bush. He was so hot. Her oh, yeah. first kind of famous Black boyfriend. But before that, she eloped with um some record exec guy when she was, like, 18 or 20.
0: Yes. And uh, I think that marriage ended... Uh very close in time to her Chris Humphreys marriage, which is actually one of my favorite of her romances because uh, the entirety of it was filmed for Kim and Courtney Take New York season two. And it is uh, one of the most apocalyptic and depressing pieces of reality TV I've ever seen as these two people realize something has gone very wrong.
1: (laughs) Yeah, like they realize that they have actually nothing in common and no chemistry.
0: Yeah. And, and there's that, they that hate each beautiful
1: other. <laughs> moment where she, she drops like, her engagement ring or something into the Caribbean. Or maybe yes. it was an earring. I don't remember, but it's, like, it was, like, an important piece of jewelry that he had gifted her.
0: It was an earring, um, and it spawned the famous quote, Kim, there's people that are dying. What was it? Courtney uh, holding her baby and, like, staring down at Kim in the water as she weeps and coolly commenting, Kim, there's people that are dying. <laughs> uh yeah and
1: i also i love like the kind of like her sister's benign irritation at her narcissism Mm -hmm. like they're aware of it and they're they're probably resentful of it to some degree but on the other hand it's what kind of catapulted that entire family to fame. I mean, Courtney actually was on a reality show before Kim. Remember she was, um, I forgot what it was, but she was on some kind of reality show about like rich teens or
0: something. Yeah. It seems like Courtney actually would have been the one who uh, might have, like, she has like more of a classic Hills narrative about her. Like, um, Especially her early relationship with Scott Disick Like mm-hmm. it definitely seems to me That she was kind of being uh, You know originally selected To take the part of the famous sister But of course mm-hmm. Kim came commenting in on the asteroid of the sex tape
1: Right yeah, yeah. And Courtney Was the only one who went to college And dated white guys <laughs> yeah. So the in rest that sense of them she's all. He's like gone, a wild card, yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah. Um I love all of the black boyfriends that are. I mean, it seems interesting like the men that Kim goes through, they all kind of um prelocate some kind of larger interest um going on with male sexuality in in the uh-huh. culture at large. And like her new relationship with Pete Davidson, is that his is that his name? Yeah. Okay. I I like know nothing about him, but he that kind of does seem to be like the beckoning of the white boy back into the sexual graces of America.
1: I honestly, as I said in one of our many group chats, thought he was biracial.
0: I mean, he kind of looks like Jewy, just a little bit.
1: A little bit, yeah. I think he's Irish Italian.
0: Oh, right. Not he's really always reminded like, me a Kusachi little bit of Friedland, too. Uh huh.
1: <laughs> I totally so see, I see it. what you mean, yeah. <laughs> <'Cause it's- laughs> But she said she recently revealed that um, uh, he's the boy. He's the partner that she's had, who's like best at sex, best in show. I totally believe it. Best in show, even the blue ribbon. Um, yeah, but I mean, I mean, the what I also always loved about Kim that I don't, I don't know if this is like a taboo thing to say now, but she was. That she was like the original kind of multicultural icon because she was, uh, or sex symbol because she was ethnically ambiguous.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I think that her, you know, element with her, like race and the way people like view her is, uh, really kind of like a paragon for um, like race relations (laughs) in the twenty first century. She has such a graceful and beautiful and fine tuned relationship with her. Uh, cultural heritage that she like lovingly and kind of um, in in a very touching, wholesome, corny way, always like keeps in touch with, just full of like grace and no animosity or, uh, like identity fury.
1: Yeah, and they always. I mean, one of the most touching aspects of the Kardashians for me is that every year on Robert June or Senior's birthday, they go to the legendary Armenian restaurant Carousel. Oh. I don't know if they do that anymore now that they're like so famous and busy, but yeah, they have this like very like kind of quiet and private um, attachment for their Armenian background.
0: Yeah. Which seems seems crazy in this
1: day and age, it's sweet. And also I I find the whole, I, I find the fact that they like couple with black guys also very relatable because you can imagine growing up in Calabasas or wherever they were, that they were also the the odd women out because they were surrounded by girls who looked like paris hilton and the um cast of the hills,
0: mhm, yeah, there was like swimming and like that, and so of course it's like more glamorous i I relate to that as well because um, my mother is German, and uh she's always been very good at like keeping like German culture around the mm-hmm. house, but it always like showed up in a way that was kind of um. Like, the salads, like, endlessly artistically curated and, like, scheduled into, like, little uh, framed events. And uh, I always thought it was, like, a lovely way of uh, introducing me to, like, what I uh, came from. And I also, of course, like, then uh, came into being uh, sexually interested in men who are not white. So (laughs) it all clicks (laughs) together. (laughs) Uh, I just love Kim. I love thinking about her. I... Um, There's a great quote from the movie we're going to discuss that Uh says, look into a diamond or a sapphire. They're transparent throughout. There's no soul. That's why a diamond sparkles with eternal youth. And I think uh, Kim has kind of done an excellent job of vacating her soul on this uh, great artistic platform she's on to create a pure beautiful image.
1: Yeah, or maybe she had kind of like no soul or interiority to begin with, which is like not to say that she was like a bad or immoral person, but maybe like those conditions of her essential character or personality are what primed her for that level of like stardom and fame, which like literally no person, no sane person can tolerate I mean, you could see what happened to Kanye, but I think that Kim has remained admirably sane throughout all of this,
0: yes, admirably sane, um admirably transparent and forever. Uh, glittering and glistening and I think she'll go down as uh, time passes is uh, one of the most fundamental images in the cultural consciousness and I more people need to recognize her that way
1: <laughs> uh, yeah I hope so I mean I always had I always got kind of like um a, a tainted and doomed feeling um from the other kind of mega starlets of her era like Britney Spears and Lindsay Lohan who were always like very troubled Mm -hmm. and Kim doesn't
0: have that aura no she doesn't have it at all she's like transcended like uh succumbing to pain like she's so over it and like so above it that at this rate anything could happen to her like she could get her whole family could get, like, gruesomely murdered by, uh, you know, Kanye West or something, and she would still look dignified and regal above it all.
1: How, how hilarious would that be if there was, like, a replay of the event that really secured her fame, which was uh, her the father representing yeah. O.J. Simpson. <laughs> I think like, I've always said, it was O.J., not Ray J., who made her a scar.
0: <laughs> Absolutely. I think we need a... I mean, like, the OJ trial was, like, the first kind of inkling. Um, I've talked about this before. I did, like, an episode on it. But it's, like, that OJ trial is, like, one of the first cemented moments of, like, fame as performance art. And uh, it makes sense that, like, Kim came from there. And I believe, in one way or another, it will end back there as well.
1: Yeah, I mean, (laughs) I I hope not. I hope not in the sense that Kanye snaps and massacres the family but i think also becoming
0: a lawyer right like there you go
1: right and i love i love that she's that because she has again this kind of like systemic litigious mind it makes total sense that she would be um interested in like taking the bar exam
0: yeah of course it does like she's like a little like geisha fascist who's like you know perfect at um organizing small experiences like this is exactly what a lawyer should be
1: yeah and she's she is very kabuki but i also think like kim like that whole family but kim in particular really stands as like she really refutes the um kind of racial narrative we have now in this country that um the races are like irretrievably like uh pinned against each other in constant warfare because she is really like the great leveler and condenser of race and she's she's like if a person one person was like a Benetton ad she contains like multitudes of multiculturalism, multi multi, And I show what I want on social media for sure, but I also have a nice set of, you know, friends that we do so many private things, and I, I enjoy that too. To want it, to want <gasps> it. You, you posted that. <laughs> and then I <laughs> Вы же это встал, меня дождном! Мы к вам
0: 68 film directed by Fukasaku Kinji, who uh, I've discussed previously on my episode about Battle Royale. It is based on a short play by Nishima Yukio, uh, which is itself adapted from a famous Erogawa Rampo novel. It stars Japan's most legendary drag queen and one of my favorite people in the world, uh, Miwa Akihiro. And, um, my God, I just find this to be one of the most riveting, uh, movies about beauty and artifice and the human heart I've ever seen. Uh, it's incredibly camp. This is, to me, a pure distillation of actually what Mishima stands for, and I wish more people had seen it. Um, but Anna, I know you walked into this with only, only what I had told you. So what was kind of your first impression of this bizarre little film? Well,
1: that it was very campy, um when um, the Miwa character, Mrs. Midorikawa um, mm-hmm. says, um, th- there's like a point where she says um, something like, hands up, like in an exercise video.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: That was like a, a perfect encapsulation of the film for me. Um, but I, I think like we, so, Dasha said something really smart on our last episode with regard to my comments on possession Mm -hmm. about how films change over time with their like reception and exposure. And then like along with like greater changes in like film technologies and like the larger attitudes and conditions of the world. Um, So I think what struck me the most about this film was that today it seems awfully naive where back then it must've seemed awfully sophisticated and the other thing that struck me about it is that it came out in 1968, which is like um, the kind of like pinnacle of like the student protests in France and like hippie culture in America, the, the moment where US grade inflation becomes a thing, sexual liberation and everything is like sort of downhill from there,
0: though mm-hmm.
1: so it appears to be on the up.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, this movie is, uh, like you said, it it is quite... By the way, I think you're one of the few people who's ever been right about Possession. I've seen it, like, twice, and I've never gotten it. Like, I've never felt moved by it. (laughs) So you're very brave for for that take. Um, But something about Black Lizard to me, which is... um, a sort of mystery crime film uh, starring mm-hmm. uh, Miwa Akihiro as the black lizard, Mrs. Uh, Midorikawa, and she is basically in a complex, convoluted, uh, almost Agatha Christie plot um, to get her hands on the uh, beautiful young Sanae to add to her uh disturbing collection of human dolls and uh, as she works on this little plot uh, she becomes entangled with a very sexy uh, Japanese detective Akechi and um, they spend a lot of the movie in pursuit of each other but also in this uh, beautiful stilted philosophical conversation against um, the most gorgeous cinematography Vivid Technicolor has to offer. Um, Yeah. And I, what you 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 were first introduced to Mishima on the Perfume Nationalist, if I'm not mistaken.
1: I think so. I just started reading *Sun and Steel*.
0: Oh, congratulations! Jack gave you that copy, if I also recall correctly.
1: Yeah, I believe Love
0: so. It. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> uh, so when you first started like getting a little bit interested in Mishima, like what what was kind of like your fascination with him?
1: Um. I mean, I. I really like to this day have only like a very like cursory like hobbyist interest in Mishima. Um, Jack's a big fan. Dasha's a big fan. A lot of people I know really love him. Uh, He's interesting to me, I guess, as this kind of classic artistic figure who was sort of sickly and limp wristed and who wanted to triumph over what he saw as like his spiritual lack by embracing um the body and vanity kind of like kim kardashian
0: Mm -hmm. yeah absolutely i've always been fascinated by him as well for precisely what you mentioned which is that it kind of goes unspoken but in fact like mishima was like very much like a flaming like dainty queen like Mm -hmm. he was um When he was uh, speaking at um, Tokyo University during the student protests, uh, they made these uh, ridiculing uh, pamphlets depicting him with a huge dick necklace um, Mm -hmm. and calling him, like, Tokyo's top faggot, like, the best, (laughs) like... And he's always kind of had that reputation in Japan for being a little bit of a pansy. um, But as he's kind of been, like, repurposed by, like, Bronze Age pervert and, like twitter frogs i think a lot of his um you know glamorous sort of uh homosexual fixation uh, kind of gets a lost in the sauce and i love this movie because it um just puts the sauce everywhere and smears it all over your face
1: mm-hmm. and i think he's like also the perfect example of the role of like homosexuals in culture as lo- at large which is as a fringe group of cultural arbiters and cultural drivers. And the first thing I noticed about the film is um, the Aubrey Beardsley door plaque above the peephole. um, The first scene where um, this very kind of uh, over-furnished, silent bourgeois interior opens up to an orgiastic party. Mm -hmm. And, you know, turned out it was just a deep work appears throughout the set design, especially in all of Miwa's lairs, which I think are themselves like meant to recall the theater. Like there are movie sets that are explicitly theatrical and not just cinematic. And of course that also made me think of like the drag queen vis-a-vis Kabuki theater where all the female roles were originally played by men and often dealt with like erotic themes and topics. Um, but we can yes. get, cycle back to that later. Um, And Beardsley is is one of my favorite artists that um, my mom introduced me to at probably an inappropriately young age. Um, And I recall reading somewhere long, long ago that he also grew up kind of sickly and in poverty. I mean, he famously died of like tuberculosis when he was only 25 years old. Um, And it seems that kind of sickliness um, and that desire to compensate is, is a through line in all of my favorite artists and an all good artists who are very often, but not always gay.
0: That's right. I mean, you have it exactly right. Like it's this um, all seeing homosexual curatorial eye. Like this is the um, most important role for a homosexual is to be able to um, pierce through the uh, cloudy gauze of heterosexual worldviews to uh, see and promote beauty as best as they can often from kind of a uh, tortured point of view. And um, you feel like that distance of like the uh, longing homosexual throughout this in um, both Miwa's performance and um, this like constantly spinning orgy world of uh, bright color that always seems just like somewhat kind of uh, tragic.
1: Yeah, and I think like these kind of artists are very socially oriented, but not in the way... Like somebody like uh, uh, Theodore Dreiser, o- Honoré Damier, I don't know if I'm pronouncing that correctly, were. Um, they're socially um, oriented through distance, through this like imperious, above it all kind of sociological eye. Mm-hmm. A- another one of my favorite artists is the writer Alberto Moravia, who was not gay but may as well have been. He grew up. Um, also he grew up wealthy but very sick uh, mm-hmm. was wrote his first novel when he was like 21 23 and was subsequently banned by the italian fascists um, and he has also this kind of like peering homosexual gaze
0: yeah i mean it's really beautiful to see it Um, literalized without any sort of irony whatsoever. Like, even though this is a, like, sort of, like, camp, it feels very uh, sincere and not really uh, put upon. Like, there's not really a a joke about this worldview. It just is um, kind of, like, the elements of the plot and the um, really, like, large-reaching scope of it that sometimes makes it feel, like, a little absurd. But, I mean, the actual, like... Um, beautiful world depicted here is, like, so fully realized and uh, without any kind of joke about it. And it's really crazy to me that, you know, well, actually, it's not crazy, but it is, um, it's beautiful to me that, like, in 1968, like, this is what, um, like, the homosexual psyche was, like, being permitted to produce in Japan. Uh, you could never make a uh-huh. kind of a homosexual worldview like this ever again.
1: Yeah, and it was, it was specifically I think, like, um, oriented toward um, kind of examining heterosexual relations because that was the only way through which it made itself visible and mm-hmm. known. And I thought what was like so nice about the Aubrey Beardsley prints is like how there's this under, I'm gonna like put on my uh, art, histo- art historian glasses, um, is how there's this like underlying dialogue with like what's now like pejoratively called cultural appropriation it's like a japanese film referencing an english artist who was himself heavily inspired by japanese because so like it's like the arm returned to its original context game of visual telephone and i think like that's another thing that like um the the homosexual gaze is good at which is like nesting these kind of art historical or cultural references in um media that are like more mass media like or um movies or music i think i also saw like the head of lachlan from like that famous antique sculpture that's now in the vatican of like the father and his sons being um, besieged like assaulted by serpent serpents and like right um if the, But the head was isolated from the kind of, end of ensemble. So he has this almost like pensive and devotional expression that you see in depictions of like Saint Sebastian, which is also Mishima. I feel like Mishima is really like the cornerstone of the film. And I think he makes a cameo in the end,
0: right? With, yes, he in does. In Nua's DM. Yeah, he plays one of the um, dolls that uh, Miwa makes. She takes uh, beautiful people and embalms them and uh, Hmm. makes them uh, living statues. And, of course, uh, Mishima is casting uh, himself here as a a beautiful, rebellious, violent youth um, who Miwa, in full drag, then proceeds to make out with. And uh, I love the idea that, like, Mishima has, like, become, like, this, like, bodybuilder, like, inspiration for Twitter, like, users and, like... The reality was is like in 1968 he was like making out with cross-dressers in gay decadent art cinema yeah (laughs) yeah it's so good
1: it's like the miwa character says like uh big muscles and hairy chest and i'm like looking with like i i whipped out my magnifying glass and i was like where i guess that's what counts that that's what in japan like passes for a hairy chest
0: Oh, yeah. It's really funny because, um, actually, like, Truman Capote was, like, friends uh, with Mishima. And um, Mishima used to take, like, regular, like, uh, monthly trips to San Francisco to visit the Castro District. And uh, Mm -hmm. he was always, like, begging Capote to take him out to go, like, find uh, more white men to engage in the rectal arts with. And, uh, like, there's, like, a very, especially, like, sassy Truman Capote letter where he's, like, you know, for a Japanese, he is still quite short. And, you know, even though he espouts all of this uh, stuff about, you know, bodybuilding, he's not that muscular. And also his chest isn't that hairy. <laughs> like, he, um, he, he, he like, the part of the joke about Mishima is that although he, you know, did look quite uh, stunning by his suicide at age 40, um, he never yeah, really uh... reached the aspirational levels I think he imagined for himself.
1: I'm actually like looking at his picture now on, on the cover of Sun and Steel. I think one of the greatest um, crimes committed against Mishima is how miscast he his character was in the otherwise very good and very beautiful film about Mishima by Paul Schrader. Mm-hmm. Because the guy that they got to play him... And I, like, okay, I understand. I respect... The boundaries of acting. I understand that the whole point of acting is like embodying a a consciousness or a type that doesn't necessarily always like conform with you, but you know, they got some guy who looked like a yakuza or like a warrior, like a samurai, to play this guy who was kind of at the end of the day a wilting wallflower, which is actually what made him beautiful. I mean, Mishima was. In my mind, like a very good looking guy.
0: Yeah, yeah, totally. I- I've always kind of thought that the casting of like Ogata Ken as Mishima in the Paul Schrader movie is like kind of funny. Um, because I think he was like much older than like Mishima was at the time as well. And like I'm throughout sure. the movie, like this is um, some of like the most impressive like all star casting of any film um, made in Japan. And they even have um Sawada Kenji, who's uh better known as Julie, um, in the. Uh, Kyoko's house sequence who is supposed to be a big like enormous bodybuilder in the original novel but mm-hmm. is like kind of like an effeminate like pretty queen and it's so it's always been like funny to me to uh, see that gap because it kind of uh, underlines like the distance Mishima always had with his ideal
1: yeah and I in that movie the the character comes off as a person whose like masculine pride has been wounded not like a person um grappling with like his homosexual vanity like there's like kind of like a difference there um but it's funny that you mention uh the the rectal arts cuz i was thinking of, of that in reference to like one of the early scenes where this um despondent young mu- musician commits suicide allegedly and then he resurfaces of course as as like Miwa's slave Um, And it made me think of, like, how in Tokyo Vice, the guy... Yes, that's right. Yeah, the young guy who who becomes, like, the lover of Sanae's, like, body double. Um, But in Tokyo Vice, the guy says that when, you know, when people in Japan commit suicide, they clean themselves and they don't eat for several days in advance so as to, like, minimize the inconvenience to others. And it reminded me of, like, kind of preparing for anal or something. Oh, no, I think you got disconnected. Oh, are you back? Recording in progress. Can you hear me? Hello? Hello?
0: Hello? Oh, hi, it sounds like you're back. Yeah, I'm back. Yeah, the signal is definitely a little bit uh, spotty at the moment, but can't be helped.
1: No, that's okay. I was just, um, I was just going on, um, a, uh, tirade about anal.
0: Oh, wait, you're, you're cutting you out again. Me? What did you say? Hello? Oh, wait, you're, you're cutting out again. What did you say?
1: Oh, nothing. I was just saying that I was uh, going on a tirade pretty about anal. It's
0: spotty. It's like, uh.
1: A... Can you hear me now?
0: All that came out was the words tirade of anal.
1: Yeah. Well, I recorded that part so you can probably like suture it in.
0: Yeah, I think it'll be fine. But yeah, no, I mean um I I yeah, you're talking about like the man who like disappears uh, from the alleged suicide and then reemerges as a uh, Miwa's slave. Yeah, I love um I I want to talk a little bit about Miwa Akihiro who is the uh leading star of this movie and uh, Miwa is a very like well-respected um, drag queen, still alive and performing today. And uh, she was born in Nagasaki Prefecture and actually survived the atomic bombing in Nagasaki uh, before moving to uh, Ginza in Tokyo at the age of 17 to start a career as a cabaret singer, um, starving, sleeping out of uh, Shibuya Station, completely homeless, uh, and then became... An extremely uh, well-known public provocateur for uh, "Make Que uh, this song that uh, famously used uh, profanities and inappropriate language, not yet used in any Japanese music. Um, and then she became kind of like a uh, figure of radical politics uh, for performing uh, music with uh, a small at a small mining town uh, for like a bunch of uh, mine workers there, and uh, she has like this very special ephemeral femininity uh you know Miwa is, is just literally a man but uh the kind of a uh, practiced femininity that she produces in this movie is so gorgeous it's
1: so it it's actually you know that the penultimate look with um the um the diamante choker and the pulled back bun and the slinky black gown was very kim uh-huh.
0: yes it is so kim isn't it
1: and I, Miwa reminds me of a lot of figures that I hold near and dear, like for you know, Quentin Crisp, for example, who I love, who you know taught me everything I know, and Armin Ra, the Armenian Iranian thereminist, who also performs in drag. I don't know if you're familiar. I'm sure you're familiar with the former. Not sure if you're familiar with the latter, but um, they both have this kind of, or they all three of them have this kind of like. Um, almost um crumpled and tragic, girlish femininity. Mhm that like it's mm-hmm. like you know the, the eternal like almost like Miss Havisham like eternal like the aging girl or like a Mary Kay Olson. and yeah, I mean, Miwa is oh, did just
0: drop you again.
1: Yeah, maybe. Can you hear me now?
0: Oh, this signal's totally cut. Uh, looks like I, I can't quite hear you.
1: Can you hear me now?
0: Shit. <laughs>
1: You no, know, I was saying, um, that, um, Nuo reminds me of like two other figures that I hold very near and dear Quentin Crisp and Armin Ra. Mm-hmm. Who, um, you know, I'm sure you're familiar with Quentin Crisp, the British raconteur, right. who and then Armin Ra is like an Iranian Armenian saramenist who performs in drag. Mm-hmm. And they all three of them have this kind of like, um delicate and girlish but aging beauty
0: yes that's definitely part of it because i think um something about miwa especially in this movie is that you definitely feel as if she's like kind of um on the exit from her like peak beauty um but because of like that sort of like forlorn aspect um it gives her performance a lot of grandiosity as she is uh uh maneuvering through the, the world of this movie
1: yeah, it, it really is like a woman at the end of her peak. And I think that that, you know, she the, when she's when she meets Sanai for the first time, and they're having this um, conversation about how um, beauty is inherently sad because it wanes and like the she wants to preserve uh, beauty as you would, like, you know, with a, a diamond, like a jewel, because people, they they grow old due to, like, sickness and anxiety. I forgot the exact quote, but it was really good.
0: Yeah, um, I think what she says is, whenever I see a pretty person, I feel sad. Right. I imagine how she will look 10 or 20 years from now. I'd like to go, uh, I'd like to preserve that beauty forever. People grow old because of anxieties and spiritual weakness. If there is some way to remove the soul...
1: Yeah, and that's, like, initially when you, like, proposed this episode, I was, like, straining to see the connection between, like, Kim Kardashian and Black Lizard, but I think that's what it is. It's, like, kind of a precursor, like, a premonition of uh, beauty and femininity in, like, the age of social media, as corny and cringe as it sounds, because now anybody can be, like, preserved indefinitely in this, like, weird flesh museum of the online. Like, you look at somebody like Madonna, who seriously looks bizarre and grotesque and like has no neck. Mm -hmm. (laughs) She's like a stuffed doll version of herself, of her former self.
0: She totally is. And it's like enshrined on her Instagram forever and like when you think about, you know, Kim and her really perfect articulation of her own being through the form of the photograph um, I, I that's really why I wanted to put these two things together is because they both seem to understand like the diamond of beauty, the empty um, like soulless uh, glimmering object that, you know, you must excavate uh, the heart from in order to create a perfect uh, image and what I've always like loved about Mishima and particularly this movie is how much it understands like the pain of that process. Like we see the pain in Madonna's continually like bloating river corpse plastic surgery form. Um, (laughs) And you know, it is like really hard to watch, but I think precious little art like understands like exactly what a nightmare it is to have to endure with a, a suffering of understanding beauty.
1: Yeah. And it reminds me also of, um, like if miss midorahawa had instagram she wouldn't have gone on that weird bizarre midsummer like killing spree because right. be all like uh, cryogenically frozen and preserved for her digitally um it reminds me of um that um the last of the famous international playboys the oh, Morrissey yeah. song where he mentions like the cray brothers and he says I never wanted to kill I'm not naturally evil such things I do just to make myself more attractive to you
0: oh beautiful
1: and it's like exactly that sentiment and there's there is that really like beautiful um, also moment in the film where um, Midorikawa and Akechi is that his name we're talking mm-hmm.
0: yeah the detective
1: and they're they're kind of cycling through the kind of three types of women who receive like roses from their from their lover and there's a caterpillar in the roses and the first woman throws the whole bouquet with the caterpillar into the flame and therefore is not the criminal type and the second woman plucks the caterpillar off but keeps the bouquet and throws only the insect into the fire and she's also not a criminal type. And Miwa at that point says, Well, who's the third woman? And it's the woman who goes to the lover who gave her the bouquet and murders him.
0: Yes, throws him into the fire. Right,
1: yeah. And, and she, and um, I, I don't remember if, I think it's the Akechi character who says, well, that's the type that I'm most interested, interested in because this is the type that goes against the grain of like commonly accepted morality, but is actually the most tenderhearted of all
0: that's right yeah. someone who's so like sensitive that um they can be swept up into sublime violence is the most special of the three women um do you think which one of the three do you think you are
1: um definitely the third
0: I think I am as well yeah so, like, <laughs> I think it can't be helped once you um I feel like there's some sort of like artistic like um gauze that divides uh some people from feeling like really moved by art and then once one thing like pierces and like rips it open forever you're always going to be the person who throws the man into the fire Mm -hmm. and like be swept away by enormous feeling and uh I, i think for me honestly it was like watching um like twin peaks the return and neon genesis evangelion uh like back to back uh a few years ago and like that like completely ripped through my my gauze and, like, now I'm, like, going to throw everyone into the fire because I just get so carried away with feeling.
1: <laughs> yeah. No, I know. I I,
0: I really related to that um, moment in celluloid
1: history because, I mean, that's... I feel like that's what my um, whole online presence is. Mm-hmm. It's, it's throwing people into the fire because I love them so much.
0: Yes, it's constantly throwing your throwing your little dolls and loved ones into the fire because you're so passionate. I mean, it is a really um, gorgeous sentiment. And the fact that that comes up in this big, like campy decadent melt. And it has like that really honest, um, you know, philosophical pondering about um, the nature of, you know, feminine emotion and beauty. I find to be uh, just such a lost quality in cinema that I, I wish could just appear in more films.
1: Yeah. why do you think it doesn't Uh,
0: you know i think that there is a really serious divide between people and their passion and so when going through the cinematic you know form now people kind of just end up resorting to like kind of like shock value or they resort to nothing at all and kind of uh descend into the cgi soup but Um, I think, you know, Gaspar Noe, for instance, like, continues to uh, produce, like, films with passion uh, because he's a deeply perverse uh, person and, like, a a major exhibitionist, and I think, you know, every once in a while we'll keep getting filmmakers who can uh, make beautiful reflections like that, but just because of um, the divorce people have between their passions, I I feel like it's hard for, you know, perverse filmmakers to uh, win the committee trials to get you know, their their films made.
1: Yeah, and like the the kind of disconnect between, um, that they have with their like bodies and their instincts. Mm -hmm. Um, I forgot um, where this came up or who said it, but um, recently um, I heard a quote that was like, nobody teaches human nature anymore. And I think that's part of the problem. The silver lining of that though, of course, is that um, as like mainstream cinema becomes, um, more and more like bland and undifferentiated and literally becomes like movie product um, mm-hmm. that the few filmmakers who are like willing and able to like plumb the depths of objection will, you know, rise to the top. And I, I don't mean that that in the sense that they'll be rewarded with fame or money, but rise to the top in terms of like um, Their, um, the kind of effect and connection they have with audiences and will literally be like glittering diamonds.
0: Yes, I think so too. And there's something to be said as well, like for people's flinching away and fear of the abject. And I think it's one of the defining social qualities of the contemporary moment is um you know in in the powers of horror by julia kristeva where she like describes abjection Mm -hmm. uh, she writes Mm -hmm. about something called the holy brat which is um these really um like cloying uh put upon people who are so horrified of the possibility of abjection that they become like sniveling eternal child figures and there, when you think about um, the context of like Black Lizard, made you know only about fifteen years, or I guess uh, twenty years after the war is over, Tokyo having been leveled, the um, director uh, barely surviving, serving in the war himself, like um, Japan in, in the sixties, everyone was so you know fundamentally related with abjection. I mean, Miwaki hero survived an atomic bomb, mm-hmm. but now everyone is so afraid of the. Um, destitute parts of human life that it's just reduced to people screaming about drag queen story hour and this like endless uh holy brat fear it's very depressing
1: yeah and I think like this film reminded me weirdly of like Midsummer, and actually Ari Aster is one of my favorite like contemporary filmmakers working today which I know is an unpopular opinion
0: because people no I love really Midsummer. hate him
1: and I, I think that he presents kind of a more overanalyzed and over-socialized version of abduction, but it's there. And um, if if he is able to let his freak flag fly, if he is like allowed by the industry, I think that he really, in a way, like for me represents like, an interesting direction for like mainstream cinema, because he's the only one I can think of who's, who's even willing to delve into those like topics and themes.
0: Yeah. Like for me, it's like the only, um, filmmakers who are willing to depict like, um, basically like black incest, which is like the defining (laughs) quality between Gaspar Noe and Ari Aster is that they have both made films that prominently feature, Um, (laughs) incest in them and like if you can you know break through with that amount of perversion and you know continue to make uh, you know movies that reflect your heart then I believe they will become diamonds but I mean my god this movie Black Lizard is is such a miracle for showing a, a drag queen in the absolute like rivulets of horrifying abjection as she is like ripped apart by her love for this detective and is like making out with a couch that she believes him to be uh captured inside i found that to be very humiliating and um you know i don't want to say brave but uh (laughs) it's quite something
1: yeah it was it was pathetic which is very pathetic a a kind of state or like uh emotion that you don't see a lot these days we were talking about this on red scare because we had a guy on who um just came out with his debut novel and he has like a 22 page passage that is like the pooping like it's like a (laughs) philosophical or metaphysical rumination on pooping and wiping and we talked about why dasha was so scandalized and offended by that um passage when she's like really not scandalized or offended by anything Else. And my theory about it, which I think was like probably the correct theory, is that it's very pathetic mm-hmm. to shit it's, or to think about shitting.
0: It's hard to experience true like pathos like that, like real, you know, grisly, pathetic behavior. And especially watching Miwa, who is just so glamorous and articulate and her like way of speaking throughout the movie is just like a homosexual like wit working in overtime to uh, come back with the most like devolicious country serve every time she speaks. And then to see her like reduced to like a sniveling, groveling mess as she like licks a couch. I mean, it's uncanny and horrifying because I think everyone has been to like some pathetic level like that before.
1: Yeah. And I think that especially if you're like a woman, not a girl, but a woman who is used to kind of projecting an image of uh, stoicism and dignity, there's always like this kind of fear of being like exposed as as vulnerable, AKA pathetic.
0: But that's actually, but that actually
1: at the end of the day is your kind of like life force. There was another great, I like left my phone in the other room because I screencapped so many of these moments. So, I don't remember, but she's like weeping over the couch and she ends up stabbing her old like. Confidant. Like, confidant, like hunchback confidant. Um, also, another charming thing about the movie is how bad, deliberately bad, and campy the disguises are. Um, oh, yeah. And you know, there's like, it reminded me of like the Beardsley thing that he was like. Um, This is a Japanese film featuring a British artist who was influenced by Japanese art, um, like, in a very similar operation. Um, Miwa's, like, femme fatale character escapes, like, detection and capture by, like, reverse cross-dressing in a male disguise. Like, she dons a suit and, like, pork by hat to, like, flee that hotel, like, the Soho house or whatever.
0: Mm Mm-hmm. I love that too. Like the, I I was really charmed by that moment because she is a very beautiful boy as well. Like, uh, um, my boyfriend was also like really like shocked. Um, because, um, as I mentioned, like Miwa is still a public figure. And, mm-hmm. um, now she has, uh, like, like extremely like hyper yellow, like Pikachu dyed hair. She's yeah. 87 years old. Um, and, uh, she's like best known for doing like voice work for like Miyazaki Hayao movies. And, uh, I mean to see her so radiant is like really shocking as both a a man and a woman and I feel like that is kind of um really the true essence of beauty and like the way that um Kim Kardashian is also like the perfect kind of uh feminine image like the Venus of Willendorf so like artfully created that it becomes kind of masculine like right. the p- perfect curation of Niwa here too it just makes her like the feminine ideal which is a man <laughs>
1: Right. And I think like, well, I've always said this, that like the most beautiful women have like a dollop of they're like 10% really mannish. And the most beautiful men have a dollop of like 10% 10 really feminine. I mean, which is like a rip off of a Paglia quote. Uh, And of course people always take this the wrong way and think that I'm like narcissistically referring to myself when I would put myself more (laughs) at like 30% man or something. But Uh obviously, I mean, that's the reason that the um, like 90s supermodels were so beautiful if you look at like stephanie seymour and linda evangelista and cindy crawford Yasmin gory um they were amazons right and they were like kind of fundamentally integrally masculine that's that's the kind of um point where people become really kind of like sexually and aesthetically captivating
0: yeah I completely agree um and that's why you know I I find kind of the current moment of drag queen culture to be a little bit disappointing because like when RuPaul was like you know much younger she was doing like kind of like scary mannish drag at first and um the kind of like current phase of drag with its like perfected um, you know, makeup and, like, the brow erasure and, uh, like, the kind of um, glimmering clown image, it's it's well and good for its own sake, but, you know, especially myself, I've always, like, you know, left my brows as is, and I really like right. to present, like, a vaguely managed face because, I mean, it's just more interesting to me.
1: Yeah, and I think, like, the Miwa character is so captivating because there are moments where, like, you know, she she looks, like, plausibly, convincingly female, but there's like kind of like an overly chiseled jawline or a wide shoulder that like really gives up the game. I was talking about something similar. I have a friend who um, is trans and I think like the most beautiful and stylish woman I've ever seen. Her name is Mika Otto and like she, her, she's known as like the mayor of Dimes Square because she's like everywhere in Dimes Square and I was thinking watching this movie how much Mika reminds me of Miwa, Um, but we were talking about the new um, Bradley Cooper Leonard Bernstein movie, and how like actually the makeup is quite convincing, and they've managed to turn this like six foot two lunk into a five foot seven manlet on on the screen. And you know we'll go watch the movie. Uh, But I was thinking about how like now just like even cinema makeup is so perfected that you could make anyone look like anyone.
0: Yeah, no, for real.
1: And it's kind of like unfair because it's cheating.
0: It is. It is cheating because I mean the ugly seams and like the occasional like um, light dusting of hair on her face like popping through is like what makes it um, so sensual and uncanny. And uh, this is why I'm like so disappointed with like the, current direction of like transgender liberation or whatever you want to call it because Mm -hmm. like i feel like trans women could have had the capacity to be like the most interesting cultural harbingers and like monsters of culture Mm -hmm. and these like sheer forces of will but it's mostly just turned into internet whining like internet whining and people who don't put in any effort and expect um the world to recognize them as is said instead of uh actively recreating reality with their own power. So right. I, you know when I watch stuff like this, I, I feel kind of a great longing for what could have could have been but just merely is not.
1: Oh the babies are crying. Yeah, I mean I I basically also like had a lot of hope for I, I, I love the idea of like, transgenderism. I feel much like Camille Pogli, I feel like somewhat trans myself and always have. And we were talking about this earlier on the pod that, um, you know, in my mind, drag queens and kind of the original like old school generations of transgender people were respecters of boundaries, whereas like contemporary gender goblins are disrespecters of boundaries. That seems to be Mm -hmm. the the most major difference um, in the sense that today the point is not
0: to, Pass, but to barely pass. That's right. The point is to just um, merely weaponize your uh, own linguistic presence to make something true that isn't. Whereas, like before, um, I always think that like uh, old school like trans activists and um, they were much more realistic and I mean funny about the whole thing. There's not a lot of humor about it and. Um, Even though, like, Black Lizard never makes an explicit joke about Miwa and, like, lets her be really convincingly, like, this tragic Kabuki, like, figure, um, you can always tell that she's kind of uh, slyly grinning at the camera for knowing the absurdity of the whole thing.
1: Yeah, can you, just to rewind a little, can you, because it it reminds me something you said earlier in the pod about how, like, Japanese Mm -hmm. people... Have like a baked in sense of self parody, which is like mm-hmm. not immediately apparent, I think, to like a foreigner from the outside looking in.
0: Yeah, I think it's you know quite difficult to discern unless um, you're vaguely familiar with like the language. But a lot of Japanese, like really abstracts, like the self, um, like people like often will use uh kind of like vague pronouns that are like more like symbolic almost or like um uh, i think that like linguistically and because of um like the speed at which japan modernized after the after the war there is like a kind of constant s- sense of biting humor um behind what appears to be kind of like a lot of um like cold like businessy kind of people right. but if you imagine like kind of like the old like 90s image of like the kind of like scary bitchy Japanese schoolgirl that like uh, climaxed with like Kill Bill and Gwen Stefani's like Harajuku girls like there's always a kind of like a menacing quality there because they're always like appearing to be laughing a little bit at the at both themselves and the situation they're in
1: yeah I mean I think overtly like when you encounter Japanese people they're like very self-effacing mm-hmm. and like self-abnegating But I can definitely see how there's, like... And, I mean, you look at just, like, from my, like, very, like, freshman exposure to Japanese art, it's, like, very, like, demonic and mocking.
0: Absolutely. And, I mean, especially the more, like, Mishima, like, you read, uh, his stuff gets, like, pretty, like, um, really actually quite demonic and the levels of, like, self-parody and and mutilation he puts... um, you know, his heart through and even with like Sun and Steel, like there's a, a big joke there. You know, we both took note that yes, you know, Mishima is very handsome and dashing, but uh, you know, he's not ever like the figure he was. So when he um writes in this grand prose about the majesty of his physical form on Earth, like there's a little bit of a of a secret joke there, along with his like idealization of the samurai. Like Japonism is this um art movement of like Japanese artists uh, depicting Japan as seen through the Western eye. Mm -hmm. And Mishima was kind of one of the first to pioneer that when he did like his patriotism film. And um, even like his uh, suicidal death is like a big campy Japonist, uh, you know, art project.
1: Yeah. And that makes me actually weirdly think of selfies where you kind of project a, uh, curated and perfected image of yourself that's really maybe one one shade or angle of you but really in reality you can never measure up you know
0: that's right I think that's um like exactly the diamond process that um you know begins with Black Lizard as they describe that jewel and then kind of ends with Kim Kardashian and her uh her soulless art on the large world stage of Balenciaga as she is, um, you know, summiting these, uh, fashion images and wearing the Maryland dress and, um, forging through it, um, all behind only like a series of, uh, pixelated images. So kind of thinking about both of these things together, I'm like the, 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 the yeah. re-philosophizing the universe this season. And I want to know what we should take away from these two as we make the new reality.
1: Well, I think that actually this just dawned on me. It, maybe I'm reading into it too much and giving Kim too much credit, but there is like an ironic and self-aware element of self-parody or self-mockery in her self-presentation.
0: hmm you look at Selfish, I mean, that book is like kind of like, I think intentionally funny in a way that it like um does almost the opposite of her Instagram with how many like unflattering, like crazy baby hair sunburned yeah. photos she lets herself in. Like, I Oops, think she I knows. fell
1: asleep in my sunglasses on the beach, which oh reminded like, me of
0: Fassbender's <laughs> Marta. Yeah, totally. <laughs> when she gets that um, horrific sunburn that gets uh, slapped upon. <laughs> yeah.
1: And I think, like, uh, the, the takeaway, the the saddest part of um, the Kim Kardashian selfish book was that it was really kind of like a, it was like the prologue to her marriage with Kanye, it ends on her marriage, right? Right. And we know what happened and how sad it was. And, like, when Kim and Kanye announced that they were divorcing... Um, everybody naturally took sides with the men naturally taking Kanye's side and the women naturally taking Kim's side. And I really can't choose because I love them both. And in my mind, they are the ultimate gay couple. And I think like in a weird way, what you have is like this inversion where um, homosexual cultural arbiters like Miwa and Mishima um, were forced because of the conditions of their time to um kind of inflict their vision, their subjectivity on the rest of us through like their interpretation of like heterosexual relations. Now that's totally flipped, and you have people like hopelessly normy hetero people like Kim and Kanye, almost um in kind of like manifesting the male gaze or the the homosexual gaze
0: no you'd literally do i couldn't have said it better myself like the entire world has been put into reverse where like the great heterosexual art-making couples are um trapped in this world of homosexual screaming yeah (laughs) it's insane like you know i think kind of as i'm like imagining how I like recreate the world. Like I want to flip it back to Black Lizard and I want to inflict, um, you know, my homosexual like worldview in that way instead of like um, letting it turn into this echo chamber and, and feedback loop that uh, prattles around these poor straight people who are completely incapable of getting out.
1: Yeah, and in a way it's like, this is like so Kim and Kanye are like the ultimate triumph of gay culture, but at what cost?
0: At what cost? it's I mean, what what cost indeed? What a what a home, like It's a really like a calamity. I was heart wrecked by their divorce. Honestly. Me too. Just ravished by it. <laughs> the fallout of it is, I think, going to be long lasting.
1: Yeah, I'm. I mean, I'm still rooting for them. I'm gonna like not overthink it. I'm not gonna think about it too much. But it's really like it. Um, it's like a you know the end of an era the end of a chapter in like American cultural
0: life it is Um, and I'm so thankful for you coming on and uh, periling through the diamond of Kim Kardashian and opening your heart to the homosexual infliction of Black Lizard I'm really honored to get your opinions on all of these things the dream come true